Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Hey, welcome back one and all to the Pause Reviews podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty co-host, Timothy. Hello, Tim. Yo, hey. What's, What's up, on? buddy? Yeah, man. Yeah. Mm. Not much. It's, you know. <laughs> it's cold as crap. No, it isn't. It is yes, a it is. magical temperature, which I <laughs> adore. I give actual eye rolls every time someone walks past me like in the store or here in my house and they're just like "Ooh, it's freezing and i'm like oh get out <laughs> like i don't know i've come to where if my wife is comfortable i am melting if yeah. i'm comfortable everyone around me is dying of <laughs> hypothermia i don't understand it's you can only get so naked you know what I'm saying? Like, you can always warm up. You can put on a hoodie. You could throw on a heated blanket. Like, there's things you can do to get comfortable. That's true. And there's nothing better than snuggling up under a nice big blanket. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love sleeping right now. Dude. It's just, you know, the fact that I, I like a little bit of leeway. And I was like, I'm not putting the heat on. Like, right. that's not happening. We're not doing that. Oh, <laughs> I came downstairs this morning and the heat was on. And I got filled with a fiery rage. Yeah. I was like, it's not happening. Our system is off, and it's going to be off until November 1st. <laughs> like, it's supposed to buy me some time here. Yeah. We did have a strong debate in our house, though, about transitioning into some Halloween stuff. I was informed that fall doesn't even start until tomorrow. So yeah. I was told that if I touched any of the summer beach themed decorations, there was going to be a hurting. So <laughs> tomorrow is the first day of autumn. Yeah. So. Yep. Maybe tomorrow. I'm waiting to watch something come flying into frame <laughs> and just wreck you in the back of the dome. <laughs> All right. What else, man? This week, so we've got a couple movies we want to try to tackle. This yeah. is the final rewind before we begin our October spooktacular. And we'll get into a, we'll get into details at the end of this episode outlining our plan for October so you guys know exactly what to expect and what to look forward to, more importantly. Yeah. But this week, we got a lot of ground to cover. I mean, I think in the back of our mind, we really liked that listener request episode and just the amount of stuff that we watched together. Yes. And then we're able to talk about. So we took a big bite <laughs> out of some stuff this week. So this week, um, a quick overview. We're going to dive into uh, Can We Convince Tim? We're going to talk about the two Batman animated movies that Tim watched and then mm -hmm. uh, we're going to talk about The King of Staten Island. We're going to talk about Jojo Rabbit. And then we, which was technically a request from Joseph a while back, but we were going to do it anyway. So we're not going to give Joe any credit. And then we did get a listener request from Phil to watch the documentary Class Action Park. And then we, I also, I don't know if you got around to it, but I did I also. Didn't. Oh, you didn't. So I yeah. did also watch the, um, the Johnny Knoxville movie that was kind of based on that action point so we'll kind of touch a little bit on on each of those as well so a ton a ton yeah. to talk about so with that let's just jump into another installment of our segment can we convince tim i still hear that 
I want that. I love it. Yeah, I, I love want it. that. In our last Rewind, Tim watched Batman Year One, and it kind of started setting the stage, as we talked about. And then we gave him two other ones to watch for this week. And now we are really getting into the meat of it. Tim, along with any of our lovely listeners playing along at home, we gave him two more movies to watch, and they were Batman the Killing Joke and yep. Batman Under the Red Hood. Before we find out how the convincing is progressing, mm-hmm. um, I'll just give a quick word on why I chose these this time. So cool. both of these movies are based on the comic books of the same name, and I chose them because, A, these books are incredibly well-written, and these movies do a really decent job of translating that source material to the screen, which is really difficult to do, right? Anybody who's read comic books, there's so much scene-setting content. There's so, especially with Batman, so much mm. internal monologue. How do you have these elements play out on screen? It's nearly impossible. It, yeah. It's why we have Robin, because we couldn't just have Batman talking to himself all the time. We had to give him <laughs> someone to talk to. It's not an easy thing to adapt a comic book, especially a Batman comic, onto a screen. And they're so well written because they dive more into the heart of what this character and his supporting cast is all about. So year one kind of set the stage, and now we're starting to really get into the complex dynamics between Batman, his rogue gallery, and his, you know, Bat family, as it's called, right? All the people who kind of help Mm -hmm. him out. The second reason I chose these movies is because when we started this, I said that I wanted this to really be Joker-centric. I wanted to really follow his arc and the relationship between Batman and his greatest nemesis. And these two really, really set the stage. Not only do they do a great job of explaining just this insane dynamic between these two characters, but it also really sets the stage for the big finale to come in the next two that I'm going to give Tim to watch. Each of these movies really does show the depth of the Batman character and the toll that his choices take on his life and the lives of everyone around him. They also show the depths of Joker's evil and his madness and how intertwined he and Batman really are. It's unlike any other hero-villain relationship in any other media. You know, I really do find these movies and the books to be surprisingly moving and powerful and among some of the most underrated stories in film, which is why I really, really wanted to do this and call attention to these stories. Um, yeah. So, without further ado, let's ask the question and dive into each of these a little bit more. Did we convince Tim? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I really very well may still be on the fence. And I think really there, there's like a yes and a no still to all of this. Good Lord. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it's not that I disagree with anything you just said because you're absolutely true. Absolutely right. But like at the end of it, there is a lot of depth in these stories and a lot of emotion, especially when you get into Under the Red Hood. I mean, the climactic battle in that one is just full of emotion. And that is, again, coming from somebody who doesn't have a lot of the background frank and i spent a lot of time before this kind of tracing the lineage of some of these characters against tim's will (laughs) (laughs) and a a lot of the stuff that goes into this so having the emotional investment in all of that i can't imagine the weight 
of that just from what I saw and what I experienced. So I definitely, I definitely agree with that. So from a yes perspective, uh, they've indeed pro- gotten progressively better for sure. Starting out where we were with year one, it was like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, this is interesting. You know, we've got this little bit of a, a backstory and a little bit of fighting there wasn't much to it and then we get to under the red hood and that is just balls to the wall multiple baddies multiple heroes interconnecting intertwining all sorts of different things happening there it's just brutal i mean and it was supposed to be bigger so under the red hood was initially rated r like the killing joke there was going to be a lot more blood a lot more Uh fighting the the action scenes were going to be more brutal and then it was on the heels of Watchmen and a couple other movies doing poorly that were rated R that DC was like, nope, we need to try to bring in a younger crowd so we can actually sell some tickets. And they forced them to make Under the Red Hood PG-13. So they cut some of that, but it's still pretty heavy. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you start out right at the beginning with just the savage beating of Robin, and then he pays that back in kind towards the end. Uh, yes. So, but specifically, I mean, Killing Joke, I was actually kind of excited to get into. I'm a little familiar with it, but I, I mean, I love Mark Hamill from from a Star Wars end, and I love him on Twitter, and I just I love the stuff that he's done. Um, and I know that people love him as the Joker. So I was really kind of like, all right, let's get into this. That is like really something kind of exciting for this one. But I really liked it. It's a lot of fun for as awful and graphic <laughs> as parts of it are. It's a lot of fun. I love the carnival element to it. But I loved that whole sequence in the in the the, the torture of Gordon in such a Joker way. So twisted. Watching Mark Hamill is probably the best part for me. I mean, because with the little bit of the backstory that you get kind of filling out the Joker's origin story or lack thereof origin story, or at least mm-hmm. the origin story as we're being told that is for this particular story, you get to see some range from him, right? You're, he's playing this pre-Joker character as well as the Joker character. Character. So I think he gets to flex a little bit there. Again, coming from where we were, the voice acting in The Killing Joke is superior to to year one for sure. Yeah, hands down. Um, it did not disappoint in terms of that. It was a little confusing at first, um, the way we, we settle in with the Batgirl story. Um, it all obviously pays off towards the end. Um, there's sort sort of a story within a story that wraps up before we get to the main story. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Classic um, comic book storytelling. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with that, it was sort of like, you know, we got this whole setup with the gang and Paris Franz, and then that story is kind of resolved. And Batgirl frames it. She's like, you have to understand, like, this is this is important to understand where we go later. This is back when crime fighting was fun and, you know, before things got complicated um, and, you know, sets up her relationship with Batman to make this ending joker the, the the main meat of this the joker story payoff so that did throw me off a little bit i was like we're an hour in or not even maybe 30 minutes in mm-hmm. and it's like up oh, that's the story you've been watching so far is over right. and we're now shifting gears and it was like on one hand i was like well where's the joker in all of this because we're x amount of minutes in and there's been no joker but then all of a sudden we're x amount of in and this initial story is over <laughs> so so that gets a little a little confusing as far as Under the Red Hood, like I mentioned, it was it's pure action. There's just so much going on there. 
to me, I, I, I don't know why, but I get sort of that classic Batman feel from it because you've got multiple adversaries, you've got multiple enemies, and then you have, you know, pulling in multiple allies, quasi-allies, mm-hmm. and, you know, and there's just so much going on and so many interpersonal relationships that I just really didn't know what was happening, right? I mean, there's all this this interplay with Black Mask breaking out the Joker for something, but really that was all part of Red Hood's plan. I mean, there's just so much happening that really keeps you on your toes. And like you mentioned, the storytelling in this one is is amazing because you get to the end and you just feel the full weight of, of Batman at the end. You know, that, yeah. that whole idea that his choices come with a consequence and he feels the weight of those consequences and a lot of those consequences especially as it relates to jason todd in this are fully weighing on him and that's the big climactic you know the end to this so definitely storytelling wise really 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 strong stories the reason i would say no is because there's just such an extensive canon that it just feels so daunting yeah, and, I can see that. <laughs> and well, like I'm these are pretty easy to follow and like if I googled something, I didn't let myself go down a rabbit hole when suddenly I'm like, "Oh, there's been five robins." Uh okay, and then there's <laughs> multiple nightwings. Okay, and then he crosses over between Batman and Superman a little bit and I was like, oh, "Stop, stop. You got the information you needed to continue watching this. Great. Stop." So I I don't know if I was just kind of like Hey, let me get into this. I'm not sure that I could really navigate this without my own trusty bat guide uh, in Frank, because <laughs> like you definitely planning this out and, and putting like, you know, a little arc to this definitely that makes sense, right? There's a little bit of a through line with the Joker stories, but if I was just to pick these up on my own and the discussion that we had previous, the way that, that these stories have played out, um, you know, on the page, I could spend the rest of my <laughs> the rest of my life trying to figure out all these pieces, uh, just to kind of put some kind of semblance of the puzzle together. So I feel like I've got some inroads, and I've appreciated what I have seen, and I think there is definite merit in all of these. But I don't think it's convinced me to necessarily go on my own from here. Mm. Like that's sort of where I'm like you know curated i can appreciate this but i'm not sure anything has convinced me to be like yeah i'm gonna devour all i can get my hands on that's i think that's fair it is crazy daunting and actually if you're experienced reading the comic books you know there are various arcs various titles that happen simultaneously right and so you'll have batman you have detective comics you have Batgirl, you have Nightwing, whatever. And all of these storylines are happening simultaneously. And then they sort of interweave and interplay here and there and cross over and affect each storyline. And so the other thing too is each of these arcs is told by these monthly comic books, right? And so certain parts of the story come to a close 
quarterly or, or whatever, but the entire arc might run a year or two years or, or whatever. So that being the source material definitely affects how it's told on the screen because it does get a little jagged. You know, you do get introductions of characters that you're just sort of like, why is this person in here? Um, <laughs> and that's just because they're trying to stay somewhat true to the materials. It's a lot of content. I think what I'm really <laughs> trying to get at here is if you can watch these movies and if you're able to sort of drown out a bit of the noise mm -hmm. and really just zero in on the main story, right? So for Killing Joke, you know, the origin of the Joker, well, you know, sort of, and how that relationship plays out. And it's really, yeah. it's a story about his motive, right? The Batgirl story exists to show how someone can be broken by mm -hmm. something as trivial and as ridiculous as Paris Franz and sex with Batman, right? right. Like, these two simple things can cause anybody to just have too much and say, I'm done, I'm out. Um, it's over, right? Mm -hmm. And can sort of mentally, emotionally, or whatever, just break a person. Now interject the Joker, who is trying to drive people crazy and prove that everyone is as broken and evil and terrible as he is, right? Yeah. And so the story of Batgirl exists to kind of give context to then also highlight how someone who doesn't break, like Gordon, how much that means, so it's easy to kind of get lost in there, but as you know, but as long as you can kind of stay zeroed in on what the main mission is, then can you enjoy these stories? And and I think that the reason these are so underrated is exactly what you're saying, is that people find it daunting and they certainly don't help themselves by incorporating a lot of this stuff, but you have to, to appease mm -hmm. the fans who are the mm -hmm. ones who are going to buy this stuff. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it's like, it, it's such a shame because, you know, it, like I said, if you can watch these things and say, I'm not going to worry about why Clayface is here or the, uh, the you know, the Hand of Four or whatever, right? Like, who cares why they're here? Keep me on track. Like, let me just stay zeroed in on what it is I'm trying to follow. There is some real meat on these bones yeah. that aren't really getting the light of day because mm -hmm. it's just it's buried in some of this other stuff. I've been very curious to see if somebody with a with very little guidance could kind of dive into this and appreciate some of these nuanced stories. Yeah. I mean, I ultimately, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I don't think blocking out any of the noise was a problem because at the end of the day, especially with Red Hood, yeah, I, I get what that was about. The humanizing of Batman in a way, just again, the consequences to all those actions and you know, how he dealt with the loss of Dick Grayson as Robin and then made this decision to bring in Jason Todd, whether that was the right decision. And he's clearly agonized over that. And, you know, and then just the way he dies was just savage. It's definitely easy to do. And, and I don't think that any of that should be a barrier when you get down to, to the guts of it. There is some good stuff here, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess at the end, I, I totally agree with you. I think it can be certainly daunting, you know, and, and I don't think that's necessarily something I thought of. I think I take it for granted, right? Because when you know these stories and you know these characters so well, you can watch these movies having all that knowledge and context in the background. You know, things can happen and come and go without 
it really sparking too much question in you. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. and I think that's something I was missing even when I launched this whole idea is that anyone else is going to really struggle with that and it's going to be hugely distracting and it could be a real stumbling block. But my hope is, is that people can kind of look past it and at least see the value of the stories. Now with that, are you down to see this through and watch the last two? Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's, so there's enough there that that keeps you curious for how this kind of plays out because make no mistake, these next two movies are the ending. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. Well, let's do it. So for the next one, which I don't know, our next episodes are going to be the Halloween episodes. So this might really not come to a close until November. Yeah. The first rewind in November. Um, So you've got plenty of time to to watch these movies. But the next, and we'll remind you guys, but the next ones that we'll touch on after the Halloween themed episodes are going to be The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and Part 2. These are two separate movies, an hour and change each, just like these ones have been, but they are one continuous story. So it's The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and The Dark Knight Returns Part 2. So you guys can check those out on HBO Max. They're fantastic. Hopefully you guys do it and let us know what you think as you're watching them. And obviously, if you watch these, shoot us some comments and let us know your thoughts so far. And I'm I'm sure most people would agree with Tim, those of you who aren't, you know, initiated, let's say, but (laughs) Uh, but otherwise hopefully you guys are getting some enjoyment out of this and if there's anything you guys are curious about want us to do a Batman episode or whatever where we dive deep into some of these things um, just let us know I'd be I'd be more than happy to do it so you think <laughs> <laughs> alright guys well let's wrap this segment up and move on to what are we watching and like we yeah. said the first thing that we were watching is uh, the King of Staten Island let's mm-hmm. dive into these real quick so, The King of Staten Island, you know, generally speaking, I think I liked this movie. It felt really deeply personal and intimate, but yet I felt like I was still able to find it somewhat relatable, which I feel like that's not really an easy thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. Usually movies that are so rooted in someone's own personal experience, they tend to tell it, even if it's an experience other people can relate to, they really just tend to tell it from that singular lens. and sure. it's hard to kind of find that in Mm -hmm. i didn't necessarily see that to be the case in this one this movie tells the story of scott carlin a guy in his 20s who struggled to grow up and find purpose after the death of his firefighter father Ooh, say that firefighter father firefighter father yeah fire fire father see i already messed (laughs) it up which happened when he was a kid again like i said super personal you know this obviously anyone who's familiar with pete davidson's story uh his father was a firefighter whose name was scott davidson it was kind of Mm -hmm. sad that he took that name as the character Mm -hmm. not sad it was just oh it tweaked me a little you know um But uh, Pete Davidson's father, Scott Davidson, um, he passed away on 9-11. He was a firefighter in New York. Pete Davidson has talked about it. It's been something that has affected his life, and so this is kind of the culmination of that, which at times really did feel like I was watching something that I shouldn't be watching. It was kind of hard. But like I said, when you're doing something this personal, for it to still be relatable, it speaks really highly of the writing. It can be so easy to focus on the personal side and just kind of leave us, the audience, you know, kind of saying things like, yeah, okay, but so what? Or like, why do I care? This Mm -hmm. isn't my story. But 
you know, it, it kind of did feel like my story in a way. You know, writing for sympathy will only get you so far. The key is to hit the empathy note. And this movie definitely does that. So, <laughs> I, I, this is where I, I'm coming at from this. And this is why I struggle. When I was reading the brief for this, and I pulled this up because Chris and I were going to watch either this one or Jojo Rabbit together. And when I read the briefs, when, you know, the little synopsis, when you Google a movie so I could read it to her, the Google King of Staten Island and in the little overview box that pops up, it says a semi-autobiographical comedy drama about Pete Davidson growing up in Staten Island, including losing his father on 9-11 and entering the world of stand-up comedy. Okay, great. Yeah, it's not about that at all. None of that stuff happens. (laughs) (laughs) So So it's so funny because I never got that sense, not from the trailers and not from any of the descriptions I read. Google is cray cray. uh, Yeah. So at the offset, I'm expecting a a, a slightly different movie to the point where it it ends. And it sort of ends abruptly. I mean, that might speak to the real path, like the Pete Davidson story. Like his father died on 9-11 because in the movie, he doesn't die on 9-11. They actually change his tattoo to like, you know, the 19th or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So his father doesn't die on 9-11 in the movie. It's not about going into stand-up. So it must be like it's semi-autobiographical based on... His yeah. own path of his dad right. dying and him finding stand-up. But the movie itself, it's fiction based on a true story. So, needless to say, when it was over, we turned to one another and we're like, so that wasn't about what we thought it was about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, that's not to say anything that you said is wrong, because it's all fairly relatable. and There's a lot going on for these characters, and it has some funny moments i laughed pretty hard a few times there's some bits where you just i mean you still you see pete davidson you know you're you have admittedly not not seen as much of him on snl or any mm-hmm. um and there was some times where i was like oh that's just him doing a, an snl bit and it's like hard to separate him from some of his characters on on the show ultimately i just felt like when the movie ends there's just not a lot there he's a slightly less crappy version of the guy who starts out at the beginning of the movie there's not a ton of forward momentum to feel like a lot has resolved he's not really in much of a different place one all is said and done so i'm not really sure what i get out of you know the 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 hour plus of this movie. Yeah, and I I think that's fair. You know, I did kind of, watching this, I, I felt like I liked it, but it took me a little bit of doing to kind of figure out why. You know, yeah. and, and so I think to kind of focus on a few of the positives, and I'll start with that first since you mentioned it now, is that I kind of liked how it ended. You know, mm. as a moviegoer, you're kind of used to the bow being tied at the end, right? Yeah. You're introduced to a character, you're introduced to all of their problems and struggles, and then somehow, magically, over the course of the next 90 to 120 minutes, 
everything is resolved and makes beautiful sense. Everybody's happy and we're all leaving our, we're all living our best lives, but that's not really. And I think that's what I, I mean when I say that this, there were moments where this felt like something I shouldn't be watching. It felt deeply personal because it also, it felt very real, right? Mm. We're watching this person navigate this life and in the end there are very few questions answered very few things resolved save one right like he he has come to terms and accepted certain feelings that he has for this girl in his life right kelsey Mm -hmm. and it's that small step in a positive direction right because she has spent the movie sort of trying to define their relationship they've been lifelong friends they've started kind of banging it out and things are sort of shifting into a more romantic way and he early on in the movie is very like i'm not in a place i I, i'm not a good person i'm not in a good headspace i don't you know i'm not built for that type of relationship sort of a thing and then in the end, coming to terms with how he feels about her and, and kind of telling her that, it illustrates one step. And mm-hmm. the movie leaves us sort of saying, well, if he can make one step, we kind of assume in time he'll make one more. And then after that, one more. So we, we see, we leave our hero on the uptick versus yeah. sort of careening down through the axe. You know, at the end, we see him begin his progression upwards but we don't have to see it all tied up in a bow that's not realistic and i think in the end that's kind of what i liked about it it was you know it just sort of it's it's like when a movie ends with the bad guy winning or the good guy dying or or something it's different and i kind of appreciated that i think interesting like we said at the top there's just not much beyond that for me i I was kind of interested to see how he could carry a movie Mm -hmm. um and i thought overall he was fine there were some parts where it just felt like he was again lapsing into just you know these weird characters that he would play there was some of it that just felt like it was really scripted for the comedic bit and it didn't really fit well into the story but other than that i thought they surrounded him with a really interesting cast of characters uh, and Mm. some really quality acting as well you know if you can get past some of the really (laughs) new york kind of suburban jersey shore type people um uh, kelsey is a great example of that she can be a little hard to swallow yes. <laughs> her and her friend especially early on in the movie but other than that i thought you know the cast was really kind of an interesting group of people i uh steve buscemi shows up uh for a little while playing a firefighter uh, so it was kind of great to kind of at first you see him in a glimpse and you're like what's that and then he sort of factors in a little bit heavier um as a as a supporting character a little bit later on just i again i keep coming back to just like you know it was fine it just it didn't really i was much more excited when i saw the trailer and it just didn't pay off much for me yeah i i get i get that i think the casting is one of the things i love the most i you mentioned steve buscemi i thought bill Burr did an awesome job um yeah. and marissa tomei were both they were both excellent a real shining light for me was Maud Apatow. Um, uh-huh. You know, I thought she was amazing as Scott's younger sister, Claire. 
And I feel like she's really kind of coming into hers. You know what I'm saying? Like she's really yeah. kind of cementing her place as an actor on her own merit versus, you know, just on her pedigree. You know, we saw her. I mean, she's been in a lot of things recently, but I don't know. This showed some real promise for her. And I'm kind of really excited to see her in more stuff. Pete Davidson, like you mentioned, I haven't watched a lot of him at all on SNL, mainly just because I just don't find him funny. I yeah. am not a fan of Pete Davidson at all. But I liked him in this, you know, again, I felt like, I don't know, maybe because it was his story and those tend to be the best stories that I felt like I got to know him a little better and could appreciate Mm -hmm. more of what he tries to do, given the context of what he's sort of been through. Um, But I don't know. I, I, I mean that as a positive, right? Like. It, 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 yeah. I'm not. I'm not converted. I still don't think he's a great comedian. He's to me. He's about as good a comedian as he is a tattoo artist in this movie. But <laughs> it's you know. But again. But he's. It, it was a great story. I think it was. It was perfect. It was. Uh, it was great. It was good to watch. <laughs> I will say, just to shift gears a little bit, the one thing I hated about this movie, the whole idea that he's directionless. Right. They kind of set it up where he's going to be a tattoo artist and then that sort of doesn't pan out. He's not very good. And then they set it up. Well, maybe he's going to end up being a firefighter after all, like his dad. And then that never quite pays out. That's okay. If all those things happened and just sort of trailed off and in the end it it just goes out like it goes out, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that question mark of what does he become, right? What does Scott become? But they have this whole montage thing, right, where he's tattooing somebody. I don't want to spoil too much, but he's tattooing yeah. somebody, and they kind of are leading you to believe, like, this one's going to be really good. Like, he's given all of his buddies really garbage tattoos. He's not <laughs> good at it. And and they're kind of leading you to believe, like, maybe this one's different, right? Maybe he's practiced a bunch. They've set it up where he's been practicing his drawing a lot. or Or maybe he's finally found his, like inspiration or, or the, the thing that's really going to make him kind of put pieces together. Mm-hmm. And then his mom ends up seeing the tattoo and even her reaction is leading you to kind of believe it. She's like, oh, this is really good. You could really do this, you know? And then they pan out and show you the tattoo and it is trash. Like right. they are the worst tattoos I've ever seen. Just the quality of the art is right horrible so there was just just that whole element where they kind of allude that like the mom thinks they're genuinely good and like he's finally maybe found his thing it drove me crazy because i was like it's still not good like why do we have to do that why can't we just leave this be so king of satin island especially for someone who doesn't like pete davidson i was really really pleasantly surprised and and i think i could appreciate the storytelling for what it was and Mm -hmm. and i kind of enjoyed the ending and how it it doesn't quite answer all the questions and it leaves things kind of in limbo it it just felt different and unique and Mm -hmm. that's not something we get a lot of these days i don't know i think i give it a six and a half out of ten a little better than middle of the road yeah i think that's a super fair assessment um i think it had some really good hilarious moments i I laughed out loud a couple times i thought there was some good banter at parts like you said middle of the road i think that's perfectly fine all right the next movie we watched is oh wait uh king of staten island where can you get it yeah you got to rent it or buy it it's not anywhere else so yep boom 
brought it home. All right, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit, you can watch on HBO. And let's see. Uh, thoughts. Dude, I, I, I really liked this one. I thought yes. this movie was excellent, and I mm-hmm. totally get the hype. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dude, Taika Waititi is the real deal. I have yet to watch a single thing he's done that doesn't just like knock it out of the park. He won for this one. He won the Oscar last year's Oscar for best adapted screenplay. And I totally get it. Oh, absolutely. It's got everything, right? It's got a dose of everything. It's really funny at parts. It's irreverently funny because you don't feel like you should be laughing at a kid whose imaginary friend is this ridiculous children's version of Hitler. It is totally weird. I mean, to see Hitler swimming in a pool with (laughs) amputees. I mean, it was, it, not just swimming. He's like under the water. (laughs) Right. So weird. But it also has so much heart and so much heartbreak yes and oh god pain and when this movie is over you don't know where it's going from here for these two characters Fully. just as much as we said that for the last one it's like it ends here but the story's not over like it, it, i want to know what happened to these kids i mean i could pick out so so much just going back to the use of hitler and how that character fades with the with jojo's kind of fade from being this yeah it's so i realized at the end when when hitler comes back and i was like that's the first time we've seen him in a really long time right and i was like oh my god it's because jojo has faded away from that radicalism that had him create Hitler. It's his own, it's his internal manifestation of his fanaticism. Yeah. And as that wanes, so too does the manifestation. Yeah. It's really brilliantly done. Totally brilliant. And just the casting is really great in that it also helps you straddle this line between super dramatic pieces and utter ridiculousness you have you know rebel wilson plays this random character and she is great and she's maybe in the movie for all of seven minutes the same with alfie allen he is exactly silent i don't think he ever says a word but he's hilarious look okay so real quick before we get too far into it this movie what is it about it tells the story of jojo played by roman griffin davis who is brilliant in this movie he's a dedicated nazi and hitler youth who soon discovers that his mother rosie played by scarlett johansson is hiding a young jewish girl named elsa played by Thomas and Mackenzie in the walls of his late sister's room. There is, there's a lot. This movie is equal parts comedy, drama, war film. It is, there's a lot happening in here, but, but that's the gist. Jojo is a dedicated diehard Nazi. 
he's a kid, so he's just fully bought into the brainwashing. He's 10 years old. Right. But then discovers that his mother, his own mother, has been secretly hiding a Nazi in their house. Or, sorry, a Jewish girl in their house. Mm. And then the struggle of that, right? And yeah. and this, this plays out throughout the film, where his mother loves her country, but sees the evil that is happening. Mm-hmm. And her son, who has been brought up, like, really, the only thing he's known has been this Nazi mentality. And all of his friends are, like, right? It's, it's just, it's this really crazy good dynamic. This is one of the best satires I have seen maybe ever. It's so and, good. And it all just comes to a head in the closing battle right this isn't the 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 final scene in in the movie but it's this closing battle where the u.s troops have closed in Uh, did we ever establish what city in germany i don't think so i don't think so um but the the american troops are, are closing in and um sam rockwell who plays at first the leader kind of of this Hitler youth um, brigade. And then he gets demoted um, for, for Jojo's injury. And now he kind of runs like this in town propaganda ish unit. It's, it's unclear what his purpose is in town, but he plays this ridiculous character who's just in it for the fashion sense and the glory. When he rolls into battle wearing the (laughs) uniform he was designing killed me. But that, that is my point. You roll into this final battle and you have old people who can barely walk pulling up arms. You have rebel Wilson handing out, you know, grenades and guns. Jojo's friend. Yeah. Jojo's uh, little friend, Yorkie. They go to this training camp together. Jojo's injured and can't continue. But Yorkie goes through and we get to this point in the war where, you know, he, Yorkie tells uh, Jojo that Hitler is dead. They, maybe we've chosen the wrong side. He says, as old people are being handed machine guns and giant bazookas to try and defend the city. Cause there are no more soldiers left. And rebel Wilson hands Yorkie a, uh, a pistol. And she says, you've just been promoted to Lieutenant or something. And she's like, go, go shoot some bad guys. Poor Yorkie's running out there in like a cardboard uniform. And he's been carrying a gun around. And it's just absolutely absurd. Jojo is shell-shocked just standing there watching this ridiculousness and then sam rockwell comes running through in this punk bedazzled german uniform with you know like insane makeup and it is it's that moment where like everything has finally come crashing down right it's that that over radicalized he's like what is this ridiculousness that that we have found ourselves in but nestled in all of that is this love story really between him and Elsa. And in the end, it's not a romantic relationship. It's a brother and sister love that he's going to have to work through. But the drama there is just, it's so crushing in comparison to the comedy and the comedic elements and the satirical elements of the rest of the movie. Well, and that's just it. Jojo has his own character transformation and progression that is fueled completely internally based on what he's learning and seeing, right? So he, you know, he has these interactions with Elsa, the Jewish girl in his house. And at first he's very steadfast, but then why is he falling for this girl in again now for him it's romantic based on what he knows but it's he's a young kid 
but it, it grows. It's really just family. It's just this pure yeah. love that he feels for this person, but also through the drama of his mother, who is a resistance fighter trying to impart this wisdom into her son through the conversations that they have. He's taking mm-hmm. in genuine input and through the process of writing this book and kind of trying to make sense of things for himself is finding his own truth. And yeah. that's where the drama really comes into play, because there are some really heavy moments The writing in this, but not just the writing, the way that things are portrayed on screen is some of the best filmmaking I have seen in a long time, right? The the way that you can visually marry the comedy with the drama and all that stuff and have it play together perfectly is pure taika. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we saw it with Thor. We saw it like, how can you take these very serious (laughs) themes and just make it absolutely hilarious without losing the oomph? Right. And without losing the heart. Mm -hmm. And he does that brilliantly. I cannot get over the scene with the shoes. Right. Don't want to give out any spoilers. You don't know what you've just seen until you see it. So much thought is given to every small seemingly insignificant element of this movie um nothing is wasted there's Mm -hmm. very little fat on the bones and and everything that you take in serves a purpose and if you can ride that wave man the ride is epic like it is such a fun fun movie but so much heart so much soul so so much in this you're dying laughing one second you're bawling crying the next and yeah. and all of it all of it surrounding the the real truth of this actually happened right yeah. like this is yep. a true evil that took place there was also an element of this that that I do like there are characters in this movie um Sam Rockwell's character in particular where he is a diehard dead set nazi but he has redeemable qualities we see a scene with Elsa where yes. they discover that maybe he's helping them more than he's letting on. He's yeah. a good person, which is hard to say about a Nazi. But it reminded me about Band of Brothers. There's a moment, they have these opening interview scenes before the episodes. They have one where they're talking to Shifty this guy named Shifty Powers. And and Band of Brothers, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and make that happen. He has this realization, this American paratrooper who fought, was shot, like, you know, he was in it. And he has this realization that many of them were just doing what they were supposed to do. Same Mm -hmm. as he's only doing what he's been told to do. And, And that in the end, maybe this person likes to fish and he likes to hunt and all this stuff. And that under other circumstances, they could have been best friends. They could have been yeah. really good friends. Yep. And and I think that's what this movie does so well. It, it doesn't dilute the evil. But at the same time, it shows the humanity behind these people. And, Absolutely. And that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very dangerous line to say that Germans are Nazis and this, that, that's just not the case. There's so much. Yep. There's even, there's a part where Hitler... He, he talks about the Valkyrie thing, right? Where, like, they made that movie, Tom Cruise made that movie, Valkyrie, uh-huh. yep. where there were yep. officers within the Nazi party who were trying to assassinate Hitler. Right. Like, even they themselves understood that this was not good. Um, yeah. So, anyways, there are so, there's so many layers, man. There's so well, many I layers think, to this movie. 
I think just to kind of put a button on on that point, um, I think Elsa says to Jojo at one point, he's always trying to convince her. He's like, no, I'm a Nazi. We can't be friends. And I think this works for Sam Rockwell's character as well. She's like, no, you're just a boy who likes the way he looks in a uniform Mm. and wants to be part of a club. And that's sort of how I felt about Sam Rockwell's character. Because if he truly believed the Nazi idealization, he wouldn't he wouldn't have let Elsa off the hook the way he does when he does, right? right? Ultimately, he just wants to wear his fancy uniform and invent crazy weapons and be gay. Right, right. And he... Maybe? Oh, fully, with Alfie <laughs> Allen, 100%. Right. And, but you're, that's so spot on, right? Because even in the end, his last words to Jojo are, go take care of that sister of yours. He knows that's not his sister. He yep. knows she's Jewish, but yep. he's telling him to take care of her. If he were truly full blown Nazi, yep. I, we never would have gotten to that point. It's yep. uh, this movie makes you think so much, and yeah. it's uh, it's so good. And I think you're spot on. It is hilarious. It is dramatic. It is heartbreaking. It is everything. This movie's fantastic. For me, it's a hands down absolute must watch, and I, I give it an eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't about Hitler. This isn't about Nazis per se. If you like what we do in the shadows and you like that kind of satirical element, you like um, Taika's direction, watch this movie. It, it's so many things and it's does so many things well without getting confusing because we've talked about other movies where that has tried to do too much and things get out of hand. That doesn't happen here at all. All right. Listener requests. We got one from Phil class action park. Class action park is an HBO max original documentary that follows action park. The, uh, it was in the like seventies, eighties, this amusement park in Vernon, New Jersey. Yes. That is, I don't know, had the most injuries, deaths. It was just this lawless, crazy, cheaply, haphazardly thrown together theme park by this complete jackass. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But this movie, and there have been, so I, I talked a little bit about the movie Action Point, right? So Action Point, don't get them confused. Action Point is the Johnny Knoxville movie that is loosely based on action park action point totally different he's a good guy he's trying to save this theme park and compete with other big amusement park and it's just an excuse to have johnny knoxville you know basically ride a lot of the rides that actually existed in action park and destroy himself doing it which as a testament to the severity of this place Riding some of the rides that actually existed for children, Johnny Knoxville suffered some of the worst injuries he had ever had. Doing that uh, that alpine slide thing, yeah, they built uh, it for Action Point. He shattered his eye socket crashing off of that. His eyeball popped out of his head. That's he had, the one where the kid actually died, right? That is where the first the first yeah. death. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, class action park. I dug it. It is almost impossible to believe that a place like this existed. But at the same time, I found it fully enraging and I hated it. I hated the dude who built it, whose name yes. I don't remember and don't really yes. care to. And, <laughs> and and it just it filled me with so much anger. Yeah. So 
I have family in North Jersey. My mom grew up in North Jersey. I was born in North Jersey. Mm-hmm. So the mythos of this place exists in my brain. This is familiar to me. I want to say it was brought up in, uh, there was a series of books in the 2000s called Weird New Jersey. It was a website and a book series and maybe a short-lived TV show on like, you know, a, you know, like Travel Channel or something like that. But New Jersey's pretty weird. There's a lot of weird Yes, Tim, the rest of us are aware. (laughs) Jersey and Um, Florida. Yeah, Yeah. so (laughs) I might have come up in that book. I can't remember. But it is part of my sphere of knowledge. Yeah. Um, My mom spent a lot of time up in that area, not at Action Park. She said she never went, but there was also the Playboy Club up there. Now, Action Park is built on the remains of what were two ski resorts Mm -hmm. in in the northern part of Jersey. I'm going to say that I agree with you that the owner of this place was an absolute criminal. I mean, to the point that I, I, I texted you and said, 55 minutes in explains everything. And that is the point where they mentioned that Donald Trump visited once to discuss investing in this. And he thought it was too crazy. Right. And that just should tell you everything you need to know, because I don't think Donald Trump has ever met, uh, you know, an investment that he he thought was too crazy. Although if he had invested, it probably would have saved a lot of lives because it would have been totally defunct and bankrupt in (laughs) three weeks. Because that dude has the opposite Midas touch and turns everything to crap. Yeah, that is so true. Now, what I'm going to say next, though is that I almost come out the other end of this documentary, though, kind of going, so what? Interesting. Because it had been built up in my head so much that it was to the point where, like, I'm picturing Disney World and people dying at Disney World. No, that's not what this was. You take one look at this place and you know it's backwoods garbage, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just... Uh, what did you expect? Then you look at the context of like, this was the end of the 70s and the 80s in New Jersey. And you and I, we've talked about this a little bit off uh, offline. We were born in the mid 80s and kind of came in at the end of this generation. We're early, older millennials or whatever you want to call it. We're, we grew up outside. We grew up getting hurt and skinning mm-hmm. our knees. And so a lot of this is just like, Sure. I mean, we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of people dying. People got injured. Sure, you look at these rides and you're like, holy crap, this is crazy. This just ended up coming out a little tamer to me than I really expected. And maybe that's just because this mythos is built up in my mind that this place was so deadly. And you listen to the way that some of these people that are interviewed talk about it. And they talk about it in that same way as like, oh, yeah, this stuff was absolutely crazy. and It was deadly. But we were kids and this is how we grew up. And in hindsight, I wouldn't trade it for the world. They, they even say wearing it as a badge of honor. Like I survived. Yeah. Yes. This guy is a criminal and the way that they maintained or didn't maintain or didn't vet things and covered up the deaths and had shitty insurance. Sure. But it's like a glorified roadside attraction this isn't six flags even this isn't bush gardens this isn't disney world and if anything this really made me appreciate 
what good amusement parks actually do to keep people safe and the work that goes into it. But at the end of the day, these kids, if they weren't there, were going to be doing similar stuff in their backyards anyway, on their own volition, <laughs> sort of, kind of. I completely understand that. But I guess where I get stuck, and for the first, I don't know, two-thirds of the movie, I'm fully in, man, and I'm with you yeah. 100%. I'm like, dude, me and me and my buddy... Rico, we used to strap ourselves to the hood of cars. We used to do like truck bed surfing and drive over, you know, railroad tracks and see how high we could launch each other up into the air and hopefully still land in the bed of the truck. We used to do crazy things and and that's no different. But we did that, right? Yeah. When you yeah. go to a park, you expect a certain level of safety. Now, sure. even that going out the window... People knew what they were getting into. It was no secret what this place was. They said on slow days, it was 50 to 100 injuries a day. I mean, people neckboarded, people medevaced out of this park just yeah. because they didn't die. We're talking about severe injuries. And a on a point. busy day, as many as 200, Tim, 200 yeah. people being carted out <laughs> of a place. So also, fine. Right. This is in the news. People know this. There are countless lawsuits where you start to lose me is when the first kid dies. Yeah, he dies. And this guy, not it wasn't that he had bad insurance. It was that he had no he, insurance. No, he made up his own insurance. And and was, you know, basically offering nobody anything, wasn't admitting to things, covering things up. People die at Disney. People die at amusement parks. Not all the time, but it happens. Mm -hmm. And and but the amusement parks are covered. They make efforts to make things a little better. This just felt disgusting. Like this wasn't a freak thing. You can't go into the situation and say, oh, we did our best to build this thing that is seemingly scary but actually very safe and it just so happened that this one in a million thing went wrong and and this person is dead and that sucks oh no you did everything possible and cut every corner and made yeah. this the most dangerous thing ever and it's no it's a shock that only one person is dead so far and to say disney had a drowning not too many years ago and they take their lifeguard situation so extreme now that you could have a little 10 by 10 pool and you have four lifeguards that are constantly walking around that pool and walking back and forth and checking. They will do it even when there is nobody in the pool. But that is their correction for that situation, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree 100%. You get to those points. I guess where I really struggle is the injuries that they stated weren't documented, Right. So we're taking a lot of this. I guess I'm taking it with a grain of salt, right? Because is there a lot of hyperbole involved? You say, oh, you know, we used to go there all the time and we heard that 200 people a day. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, oh, but that was the guy, the, the head the of former security. Guard. Yeah. yeah. So then he's saying it. I, I get it. I totally get it. But at the same time, I don't know where I was. I'm just kind of like, all right, sure. Yeah. I, I, as far as it goes for a documentary, I would have liked to have heard from more people does yeah, that make it sense? felt like there was they were really only talking to like five people yeah two were and actors like, who had been there as kids right yeah but other than that it's like the same three employees yeah who are kind yeah. of just narrating this entire thing yeah well and, and then so, the and the parents of that kid who died yeah so i think i wanted more concrete information yeah. I, I think or something i don't know I, it didn't really change my opinion that much one way or the other. I think 
maybe I was expecting a lot more crazy. So here's my question for you. Okay. Would you would you have gone? <laughs> would I have gone? I will say this. This is a hard question to answer because yeah. I think me today it's a resounding no and and I think now with with years I think I give myself a little bit too much credit. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I say, oh, I, I would never have gone there and, and that kind of stuff. But I do. I seriously, I did some really stupid stuff growing up. Here's what I do think. I think that looking back on things now, we have a lot of context. Growing up, yes. we didn't read newspapers. Sure. We didn't like all I would have heard as a kid would be, yo, we just went to this place. They you can drive 50 miles an hour in the go-karts. They have this crazy swing that you like swing out and you're like a hundred feet in the air. And I would not have had the context of all the negative stuff, the deaths, yeah. the injuries. So yep. yeah, man, I probably would have gone because kid to kid it was the time of your life, right? right? Like you're basically freaking Tarzan and running the show. Who says right. no to that as a prepubescent right. child? So yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have been there. You know, I think I would go into any of those situations assuming that as bad as something looks, it's it's fine, right? Like this has been tested and, and I'm going to live. <laughs> and it's crazy. When they were talking about how they did the testing and how like people would come in missing teeth and then people were coming or people were getting like torn apart and then they they opened up the slide and it was because people's teeth were stuck in the padding and were slicing people open and i'm just like what the heck is this you know it's just it is outlandish this the doc is crazy for no other reason if you haven't heard of this place uh i the only reason i even am familiar with it is because of the johnny knoxville movie Mm -hmm. and when he was doing the press he was talking a lot about dude this is based on a real place so if you haven't seen it and you haven't heard of this thing if you have hbo max i definitely recommend checking it out on Amazon Prime Video, you can watch Action Point for free, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Knoxville version. Uh, I don't know. Other than that, it's uh, throw it on in the background. Yeah, I love it is I love documentaries is. for things like that. If you're working on a project, it's like a podcast to me, right? You yeah, can, you can look when they when they draw attention to something particular. You can look up and say, "Oh man, that ride looks nuts." But the rest of it, I can get the full story audit i don't need to watch this guy tell me a story <laughs> no and you're right i don't know for i give it five out of ten five out of ten i yeah i, I mean it's it. scratched it's scratched an itch because i think yeah. before we were talking about this i we, we when we were planning this out it's like hey, you know we haven't done a documentary you've talked about a documentary in a while and it might be something fun and i was like oh there it is and it kind of scratched an itch i i, I was happy yeah, yeah I'll, I'll say action point might as well right action point i'll give that a four out of ten I, you know it's kind of fun to see johnny knoxville back into doing crazy things but it's you know it's just the acting is atrocious and the movie itself is just it is what it is yeah, three out of ten <laughs> it's a three out of ten but if you, you like go. watching johnny knoxville get slammed into walls check it out it's fine <laughs> it's fine all right, guys. Uh, I think we've jabbered on enough. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us. Let's talk a little bit about October, and then we will turn you loose. I um. So the plan for October is this: we have, th- we have five weeks. We have five Thursdays in October, which yeah. means you guys get extra content. So here's what we're gonna do. It just so happens that it works out. Starting Thursday, October first, uh, will be our next deep dive episode, and so we're gonna get three deep dive episodes in the month of October. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to tackle three movies, uh, horror movies, that are based on true stories. And we're going to take a deeper look. So we're going to talk about the movie and its own merits. Is it scary? Is it this? Whatever, right? We'll break down the movie. But then we're also going to talk about the story behind the movie and do a bit of like a fact versus fiction sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so those should be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about horror movies and, and sort of the true story behind them. How close does the movie get and how wild is the true story the two weeks in between and we know that while a lot of you guys are horror junkies and just can't wait for halloween and and just dive in and get into all these nasty horror movies some of you not so much yeah and so we want to give some content for all of you so for the deep dive episodes we're going to talk about movies that definitely will scratch the halloween itch but that aren't scary movies. So movies. You that, mean the, the the rewind episodes? What did I say? You said deep dives. I did. All right, my bad. <laughs> yes, the rewinds. In between the deep dives, we're doing rewinds, and in those, we're going to focus on the movies that aren't scary, but will still give you something fun that you can watch on you know to get that Halloween feel. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll be remo- re- reviewing movies that are more comedy related um, stuff, kind of like the Happy Death Day. You know, maybe Tucker and Dale versus Evil, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Maybe a few thrillers, right? Some mysteries things that kind of get a little bit you know creepery but without being like a straight up horror movie or a slasher movie or a gore fest type thing and and don't forget we might even have a little bit of the next haunting at hill house depending on how that release schedule goes i can't wait a little bit of that's coming out too um so you know and we'll do yeah and we'll do an episode on one of the rewinds too of some family classics so halloween stuff that you can watch with the kids and then uh instagram full horror guys like we're gonna be posting all kinds of content on their recommendations so check that stuff out as well and instagram we're gonna focus primarily on the stuff that's available on streaming services uh so stuff that you can watch for free as long as you pay those subscriptions other than that guys thank you so much for listening as always reach out to us instagram at pause reviews the website pausereviews.com or on email pausereviews at gmail.com and we will catch you guys on the next one with our first deep dive for halloween and we are talking about the right so check out the right starring anthony hopkins and we will be back next Thursday, October 1st, with our first deep dive and talking about the fact and fiction behind the movie. As always, I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. Let's get spooky. <laughs> we'll see you guys <laughs> on the next one.